Amen. Have a seat. Uh, didn't the worship team do a great job leading us this morning? And uh, hey, Zach, wait right there. I just want to say congratulations to Zach and Cynthia. They uh, got married a week, week ago, week and a half ago, just recently. And so uh, congratulations to you guys. Um, so if, if you notice that Zach was leading with just a little extra glow coming off of him this morning, it's that pride and joy being a new, newlywed. So congratulations, y'all. Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. And uh, we're working our way through Ephesians and through this uh, first chapter uh, over the last few weeks. In the first uh, 14 verses of chapter 1, uh, what Paul, and Paul is the author of this letter, he was a first century apostle, church planner, pastor. He's writing back to this church that he planted in ancient Ephesus. And this whole first chapter is really one big prayer. And so up to this point, it's been kind of a prayer of praise. Uh, Paul opens this letter by just saying, praise God, bless God, and bless his name specifically for how he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He showered them blessings on our lives as Christians. And then uh, Paul just kind of goes off and lists these blessings that are ours in Christ. And so he, we've been spending some time just celebrating those different blessings where Paul's like, listen, bless God, you are chosen. God set his heart on you if you're in Christ. He pursued you, drew him drew you to himself, raised you to, to new life. Uh, he has redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's adopted you into his family. You're part of a new family now. You've been given an inheritance in Christ as an adopted son and daughter of God. The Holy Spirit has been poured into your life, taking up residence in you. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is amazing news, right? This is amazing news that Paul's been celebrating and firing off at us, and we've been studying all that in the first 14 verses. And then in verse 15, he kind of, he's still praying, but he shifts gears. And he goes from a prayer of praise to a prayer of, of intercession for this church and for us. And what he starts to pray is that all of these glorious truths that we've been celebrating, that they won't just be things that we know up here, but they'll be things that we know in here. You know, there's a difference in that, right? That those things that are true about us in Christ would sink into our hearts and lives in such a way that it'd make a difference and it'd change our lives, all right? There's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. There's a difference between having knowledge in our heads and having a real deal heart affection for God because of things that are true about us. I remember uh, several years ago, I went on a conference, went to a conference in Columbus, Ohio. Some of y'all are from up north. You're used to that cold weather up there. I wasn't used, you know, I wasn't ready for that. All right, I went on a conference in the wintertime in January, and we flew in and got to the hotel, and I knew I was ready to go get something to eat, find a place to eat, uh, which meant I had to go outside, and uh, I knew that it was, the temperatures were supposed to drop that evening, all right? I knew that. I even had on my weather app that it was going to be like somewhere in the teens, like the low teens. Um, however, there's a difference in knowing that and seeing that on a weather app, right? There's a difference between knowing all that and then going from standing in a warm hotel lobby to out in that like cold cut you to the bone, make a Floridian like thin skinned boy like me cry, right? Kind of cold, all right? Literally, I remember, true story, like I go out out of the lobby. It's like one of those rotating like fancy hotel doors. I like go to walk out and I feel the wind and I just like walk right back in and go back up to my room and like put more layers on. True story. Big difference in knowing it and experiencing it. I remember um, a couple years ago, I was able to go with um, 
the Knights to, to Mexico, uh, down to Oaxaca, Mexico, and they, you know, warned us that, hey, the, the weather down there, it's a different kind of hot, all right? It's a different kind of hot. The sun uh, brings down heat on you that's a little different than even you're used to in Florida. And so I knew that, right? I knew that. I even saw that on my weather app that it was going to be like 112 degree weather. And, uh, and yet, you know, I know that, but there's a difference between knowing that that's true cognitively and like going out underneath that kind of sun and feeling that heat on your skin. It's a totally different thing. And here's what Paul is praying for these believers. He's praying that, they, that we would know these glorious truths that are true about us in Christ, that we've been celebrating, that we would know them not just in a cognitive way, but spiritually we'd feel it on our skin. That's what he's getting at in this prayer. That our hearts would be captured by this in such a way that it change every area of our life. And as we are studying this prayer, continuing to study this prayer that, pray, that Paul's praying for the church this morning, it's going to teach us a lot about how to pray for one another. It's going to teach us how to pray for our own hearts. And it's going to present to us within these prayer requests some significant truths that need to capture and consume our hearts if we're going to grow as disciples. All right, so stand with your Bibles open. I'll begin to read in verse 15 all the way to the end of the chapter. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, and of revelation, and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, I recognize what is true this morning, and this is what is true, that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so I pray that your spirit would take this service, would move in our hearts, that you'd fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit in such a way that you'd illuminate our minds and our hearts to what is true. Not just that we'd know it in our minds, Lord, but it would stir the affections of our heart for you in such a way that it would change our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we study how Paul prays for these Ephesian believers, I want you to notice something. I love how Paul, in verse 15, um, stops before he moves on and begins to pray some specific requests. He lifts up a prayer of thanksgiving. All right, remember, let's remember a little bit of context background right here. Remember, Paul planted the church in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. He spent uh, three years of his life in his ministry, in Ephesus, uh, pouring into uh, people, making disciples, uh, establishing a church there, pastoring that church, raising up church leadership. And then at the end of three years, he, he, he leaves. And he, he leaves things in the hands of that church leadership that he raised up. And, uh, and he leaves. And this is where we're finding ourselves as we're reading this letter when he wrote this. This is eight years removed from when he left Ephesus and left this church that he had planted. And now what he's doing is he's in a prison cell in Rome. And as crazy as this sounds, he's there because he's been illegally preaching the gospel in the Roman Empire. And so they put him in prison and threatening to take his life. And there he is in that prison cell. And he is in chains. And he gets a report 
uh, about what's going on in different churches, and one of those churches was Ephesus, and, and the church in Ephesus. And so he hears this report, eight years removed from him leaving them, and he's writing a letter back. Hasn't been there for eight years physically, but he's writing a letter back based on what he hears. Now, uh, the letter implies, when you look at the back half of Ephesians, when there's a lot of instruction, there's some correction, is that the entire report on the church that he receives in, in Rome isn't perfect, right? There's some things that need to be corrected, right? But what I love what Paul does is he doesn't start there, right? We're going to get to that, right? But where he starts is he starts by praising God and thanking God for something that he sees in the lives of the Ephesians as he looks at them through a lens of grace and that he looks at them and he goes, hey, I know everything's not perfect. Hey, we got some things to talk about, but I just want you to know that I'm thanking God for the spiritual life that I see in you. Isn't that good? He's seeing them through a lens of grace. He, he says in verse 15, I, I recognize that you're demonstrating two really important things that a true believer has to uh, display and demonstrate in order to, for them to call themselves a true believer, and that's true faith in Jesus Christ, and that's love for other saints. And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us, because here's the reality, all right? This is just true today. All of us and everybody who knows Jesus, everybody in this room should be amen and right here. All of us have some messy spots in our life. All of us have some weak areas in our life. You showed up today, I'm coming to church because I want to be around some people who, don't have, who are perfect and don't have anything messed up about their lives. Well, you're at the wrong, you're at the wrong place. All, right? all of us have mess in our lives. All of us are works in progress. All of us are aware of weak areas where we need to grow. But listen, allow the words of Paul right here to be personalized and to encourage you this morning. As he's saying this to this church and he's saying this to us. The implication here is this. Hey, you are messy? Uh, uh, are you, is your life messy? Yeah. Are you, are you perfect? No, you're far from it. But I thank God, and I'm stopping here in verse 15 and saying that I'm thanking God because he's been faithful to save you and to place faith in your heart for him. Hey, and you may have a long way to go, but I know he's going to get you there. I love verse 15. He's seen them through a lens of grace. And so he pauses and thanks God for the evidence of God's grace that he sees in their life. But Paul also knows that it's the will of God that they grow. He recognized, hey, we're works in progress. I'm seeing you through a lens of grace, but I'm also recognizing that although we're works in progress, there is work that God wants to do in your life. God wants, hey, we may feel like a mess this morning, but God's desire, and that's okay, you're here, right? And we're seeing that through a lens of grace, but God wants to mature you. God wants you to grow. We say it this way, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. God has given us his word. He's given us his spirit, and he wants us to grow. He wants us to make progress, and it's not going to be perfect progress, but in him it's going to be progress. And so he begins to pray for that right here, beginning in verse 15 and through the rest of this passage, he begins to pray for maturity in the lives of believers. And he's praying this for our lives. And he presents four important prayer requests that give us prayers to pray for each other as we're seeking to see our brothers and sisters in Christ mature in their faith and as we should pray for our own hearts. And it presents to us some really significant, important truths that we need to understand in our hearts in order for us to grow. Are you with me? So here's the four prayer requests that he prays over the church of Ephesus, and he prayed for us this morning. All right, number one is this. He prays that they would gain a deeper knowledge of God. He pray. you want to grow in your faith, it takes you growing in gaining a deeper knowledge of God. Look at the end of verse 16. I'm remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. All right? In this prayer, Paul's communicating something extremely important that we can't be reminded of enough, and it's this. God wants you to know that He wants to know you and wants you to know Him. God wants you to have wisdom and insight into a knowledge of Him. Not to just have mental knowledge about Him. Paul's praying and God's desire is for you to have spiritual, experiential knowledge about God that goes beyond your mind and into your heart and begins to change everything about who you are. And Paul recognizes in this prayer that's only going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's exactly what he prays. He prays that the Holy Spirit would help us, would help you. We should pray for each other and pray for our own heart that the Holy Spirit would help us to grow, to know God more deeply. I want you to know this, that the most important thing that can happen in the life of any follower of Jesus is that you grow to know God more intimately. Y'all know that's what we're going to spend eternity doing, right? Like, in fact, the unbroken fellowship, the unbroken relationship that we get to spend eternity experiencing with our God in a glorified state, that's what makes heaven heaven. We, but here's the deal. We don't got to wait till heaven to begin to experience that. And we shouldn't. It's his will and it's his invitation to us right now. God's invitation to you this morning is not into a religion. It's not into a system of do's and don'ts. We've been invited into an intimate love relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And when I grow to know him more, the more it changes every part of my life. The more I grow to know him more, the less mess I see in my life and the more maturity I begin to see in my life for the glory of God. He wants to know you. He desires to deepen your knowledge of him. And as a believer, every day you wake up, every day I wake up, there's an invitation from God to come and to grow to know him more through his word and ironically also through prayer. Isn't that interesting that Paul's praying that we grow in our wisdom and knowledge of who God is but it's through the discipline of prayer itself that that happens in our life. It's uh, through the discipline of prayer. In fact, that's what prayer is all about. Sometimes we can view prayer kind of too much of a stagnant, like I'm interacting with a list of requests. And certainly prayer does involve lifting up requests. But the primary purpose of prayer is not me interacting with a big list of requests. It's actually me interacting with a person. It's me interacting with God. And he's a communicative God. He's a God who wants you to know him. He's a God who wants you to communicate with him. He's a God who wants you to spend time in his presence. He's a God who's inviting you every single day to come into his presence, to get to know him more through his word and through prayer. And it takes you communicating with him. Hey, he ain't gone anywhere. Every day, he invites us in. And he desires that we communicate. And we have to begin to communicate, to grow in that relationship. Isn't that true in our relationship with our spouse? In my relationship with my wife, I ha- early on I had to learn how to talk in that relationship. Anybody with me? Early in marriage, I-, I learned that after a long day of work, that when I got home and my wife got home from work, that when we got home, she didn't want to just sit in front of the TV and veg out on the couch like I did and not talk. Right? Like when I was in college with my roommates, I never, I, we, we never did that, right? I never had my college roommates go, boys, can we turn off the TV? And I just want to talk to you guys a little bit. <laughs> No, I would have been looking for a new roommate, right? <laughs> hey, she wanted to talk. And I was kind of a slow learner 
with that, right? You know, well, okay, okay, let me turn the TV off. What do you want to talk about? Well, how was your day? It was good. Baseball game? Back to baseball game? No, she wanted to talk more than that. She wanted a deeper relationship than that, which involved deeper conversation than that. And looking back, and you can see in your relationship with your spouse that the main ingredient to growing intimately as a married couple and in any relationship is learning to communicate. Taking time to commune, taking time to fellowship, taking time to talk. And through that, she's learned much about me. And through that, I've learned much about her. And how much more true is that with us and our relationship with God? Through consistent, disciplined, faith-filled, Bible-soaked prayer. Daily prayer. The most beautiful benefit we get is we get to experience a more intimate, deep relationship with God. Our Heavenly Father, who is the creator and the sustainer of the universe, and every day calls us to draw near to Him, to get to know Him more. And the more I get to know Him, the more the messes in my life begin to mature. And more, more and more I look like Christ. So I'm not just, I don't think I'm talking in too simple of terms or making things too simple this morning sometimes the simple things are the true things that sometimes the big issues in our life can boil down to some simple things and it may be simply that you aren't pursuing to know God you aren't pursuing God in relationship to know him more that's his prayer request that we need that's what we need to pray for each other that's what we need to pray for ourselves and that's what we need to be experiencing in order to grow as disciples in Christ so the second prayer request is this and it gets a little more specific. Paul prays this. He says that we would gain a deeper knowledge of our hope. All right? That we would gain a deeper knowledge of our hope. And this is tied with the previous point. It's almost as if Paul's praying this. I pray that as you grow to know God more, that the eyes of your heart, that your heart would be illuminated and that you gain a deeper knowledge of your hope in Him. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. So what Paul's praying is that a light would come on. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would turn a light on in your mind and in your heart and that you would know through your relationship with God the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. What Paul is not interested in right here and what he's not focused on right here is us checking off the box and giving the right answer to the test on what the hope of Christ is all about. The hope that we have in Christ. Paul, Paul's actually, that's objective hope. Right, And we have that. There's things that are objectively true about us. But he's not asking us just to check off the box here. He's actually interested right here in subjective hope. He's, he wants us to feel and to experience and to know deeply what is ours in Christ Jesus. What is objectively true for us, he wants us to subjectively feel it in our hearts. To feel it spiritually on our skin. He's talking about subjective hope. Let me illustrate it like this. It's like if you're a parent and you've ever had to... Get down on an eye level with your kids and look at them in the eyeballs and say, hey, listen to me. Don't you know how much I love you? Don't you know? Now, you're not looking for just the right answer to the test right there. Well, yeah, you're my dad. And yeah, you're supposed to love your kid. You love me. Yeah, of course. That's the right answer. No, that's not. I'm not interested in them just factually knowing that that is true, that I love them. No, I want them to deeply sense in their heart that their daddy loves them. You want them to deeply sense in that moment how much you as a mom deeply care for them. You don't want them to just know it. You want them to know it, right? I want their heart to know that they're loved. That's what Paul's saying right here, that we would know the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus in an experiential sense, not just in a cognitive sense. That we would know the hope that God's called us to. 
Not just simply as a theological fact, but that our hearts will be captured by it. Here's why that's really important, that our hearts are captured over and over and over again. The hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. And here's the reason why that's important, because our hearts are prone to wander. Our hearts hearts are, are prone to easily lose sight of the hope that is ours in Christ. Our hearts are prone to wander and to misplace our hope. Or our hope, hey, we're prone to lose our hope as we're in a crazy world where there's messed up stuff all around us and you look at the messed up things all across the world and you look at the messed up things in your own life and you have a heart that's prone to wander and you're tempted to lose hope. And is there anything more tragic than a believer who has real eternal hope in Christ living on the brink of despair? Living on the brink of discouragement? debilitating discouragement. And my prayer for us this morning, along with Paul, is that we would know, I would know, that you would know that what is true in our minds about the hope that we have in Christ will once again grip our hearts and would change our outlook on life. May our hearts be gripped by the hope, which is, this is a confident expectation that in Christ, the best is before us. That the best is before us in Christ Jesus. Have you lost hope? Just take a look at your own life for a moment. When we look at our our own lives and how messed up we are and how far we have to go and how much sanctification still needs to be done in our life. Let me don't lose hope. Let me just remind you that the best is before you. God is going to finish the work that He started in you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Take it to the bank. God said it. It's a promise. He's going to keep it. He's going to finish the work that He started in you. He's committed to your good and His glory. And He's going to fully sanctify you in the stuff you're struggling with right now. There is coming a day you ain't going to struggle with it anymore. Never lose hope. All the injustices that surround us in our world. All the injustices that you've experienced, maybe personally in your life, that you feel frustrated by, and burdened by, and powerless over. I want you to know that one day, hey, the best is before us. Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back to undo all evil, to take away all sadness and all death. He's coming back to perfectly reign as a good and powerful king who will put all things in heaven and on earth under his good and his perfect reign. Hey, Don't lose hope. Don't just know that. Feel that. In Christ, the best is in front of us, not behind us. In Christ, we don't have to fear death. In Christ, the only thing ahead of us is a glorious future in Christ. That's the hope that we have in Him. Not because of anything that we've done, but based on our position in Christ. Based on our position in Christ. Based on... Who we are in the family of God. You're a daughter of God in Christ. Nothing will ever change that. You're a son of God in Christ. Nothing will ever change that. You have forever in Christ a place at the royal table of God. You're forever his child. You know what that means? It means we can have a confident expectation about our future. You know, one of my favorite holidays growing up, who's with me, was Christmas. Christmas Christmas is the best holiday to me. I don't know about you. But man, I'm kind of a Christmas nerd. I love Christmas to be a big deal around our house. And I think I'm that way because growing up, my parents made a big deal about Christmas and the decorations and being a part of my family. I love Christmas because I had a lot of confidence that on Christmas morning, I was going to walk downstairs and there were going to be a lot of presents for me under that tree. And so much so that I could hardly sleep. You, you, you remember that? Because Why? Because I had a deep, confident expectation about what was going to happen the next morning. 
And because of our position in Christ, this is more infinitely true about who we are in Jesus. Who, because of my position in Christ and the family of God, we can confidently expect that the best is in front of us. We can move ahead, even today, confident that the most glorious future is ahead of us in Christ Jesus. One of the best prayers that we can pray for our own heart, one of the best prayers we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the best prayers we can pray over our home is that we would all, our hearts, once again, by the power of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit would help us to to maintain a spirit of hope as believers. Number three, he prays this, that we would gain a deeper knowledge of our preciousness in Christ. Now, that may sound strange, but look back at verse, the rest of 18, verse 18. He says this, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his, inglori- of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That last phrase is what I want you to focus on. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, when you read that, it's like, yeah, I get that, right? We've kind of covered that. Paul wants us to understand what we have in Christ, our inheritance. But when you slow down, that's not what he's talking about right here. He doesn't say, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance? He says, I want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of God's glorious inheritance. And what's the point? This isn't about our inheritance in Christ. We just talked about that, right? We have just this unbelievable amount of riches and this glorious inheritance that's ours. We're heirs with Christ, right? And we're going to know that in full one day, right? That's, That's our inheritance. That's what he just prayed that we'd be more aware of. But right here, he's talking about God's inheritance in us, that we'd have a deeper awareness of God's inheritance. Who is God's inheritance? In Christ, it's us. God's inheritance is his people. We are the glorious inheritance of God. We're a people who God loves, a people who he cherishes, a people who he went to great lengths to rescue and to redeem, a people who by his grace is restoring his image within And this reveals something to us this morning, that in Christ, we are precious to God. You know what that means? You're not just loved by God this morning in Christ Jesus. You're liked by God. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. We all know we got some family members who we love, but we don't like. Don't amen that if they're in the room right now, all right? Make for an awkward lunch. But Christian, God rejoices in you. And he can do this because by his grace, he has redeemed you. You're his. You are God's. You are His son. You are His daughter. What would it do in your life if you more deeply knew and more, were fully aware that you are part of God's inheritance, that you are beloved? You may have had some other things spoken into your life up to this point in your life that kind of messes with your mind and the way you see yourself. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what you need? You need the Holy Spirit to enlighten your heart and to help you see what God says over your life in Christ Jesus. And you know what he says? He says, you're my beloved. You know what that means? You're not just loved by God. You are greatly loved by God in Christ Jesus. That will change your life. That will change the way you live. That'll change the way you treat people. That'll change the way you interact with people. That'll change the way you... Hey... It'll change the way you treat people in this sense because that believer that you're tempted to gossip about and slander about and not be kind to or hold forgiveness back from, you realize that they're just as precious in the sight of God as you are. So precious that he shed his blood to bring them into his family as part of his inheritance the same way he did you. They're just as much of a child of the king as you are. 
You see, knowing that will transform not just the way you see your own life, not just give you a more healthy perspective on how you need to see yourself. As you move forward and mature in your faith, it'll help you mature in your faith in the the way that you treat other people. And you'll see people through a lens of grace a lot more when you realize that we in Christ are precious in the sight of God. He delights in you. He cherishes you. All because of Jesus, not because of anything we have done. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. Final request, and I think this is my favorite one, that we would gain for a deeper knowledge of God's power. That we would gain a deeper knowledge of God's power. Verse 19 says, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? All right, the last thing that Paul prays is that we would understand the power available to us in Christ. He calls it immeasurable. It's great. And this may be the one thing Christians live in more ignorance towards than anything else. The power that's available to you in Christ Jesus. So many don't understand it. And what Paul's praying is that we would. Paul's praying that our hearts would grasp it. That we wouldn't just know it here, but that we'd know it here. That we wouldn't just know it in a head knowledge kind of way. That we'd know it in our heart. I want you to imagine if later today, just imagine, right? Big imagination. Imagine that later today, you get a message, you get a phone call, and you find out that for the last several months of your life, there's there's an account that's in your name that has had a a billion dollars in it. All right? Somehow, someone, some rich relative, somebody wired you a billion dollars into an account, and it's yours. You know, I've ventured to say that for the last several months, you haven't been living like you got a billion dollars to your name. Why? Because you didn't know you had it. But I can guarantee you this, that I'm betting that it may have not changed your life up to this point, but I guarantee the moment you find out you got it, you're going to be living a little differently. It's going to change radically and dramatically the way that you live your life. It's going to affect the way you think. It's going to affect what you do because you can't know something, really know something, and accept it and embrace something of that magnitude and it not dramatically change things in your life. And as a Christian, as you gain a deeper knowledge of the power of Almighty God that is available to you, it begins to radically and dramatically transform and impact your life. You say, well, why is it important? Why is it important that I not just know up here about the power of God that's available to me? Why is it important that I don't just know it that way and that I actually experience it, that I know it, that I walk in it? Because every day, reality check, we'll get back to this in Ephesians chapter 6, every day as a disciple, you wake up in a spiritual war zone. It may not feel like a spiritual war zone. That's a tactic of the enemy. Every day, often unbeknownst to us, We are in a spiritual war zone. Every day we wake up, we face spiritual battles. And you know what we learn real quick in our walk with God is that the power in our own flesh isn't strong enough to fight in that battle. It's not strong enough to fight against our enemy. It's not strong enough to resist the temptations of our flesh. It's not strong enough to resist the temptations of the evil one. It's not strong enough to overcome the weaknesses in our flesh. It's not strong enough to defeat demonic forces in this world. It's not strong enough to persevere through trials and actually glorify God and even maintain a joy and a peace through the trials that we face in this life. Our power is not enough. Here's the good news of the gospel. Our power doesn't have to be enough. We have a greater power available to us. And his point is, you don't just need to know that. You need to know that in your heart. 
You need to experience that. You need to stop trying to live your life in your own power. If all you do is rely on your own willpower to move through this life as a believer, you will stay in cycles of sin. You will stay in cycles of shame. You will stay in cycles of despair, cycles of discouragement, cycles of temptation. You aren't strong enough. And we know this. We struggle in our own power to do things. That's why it's March, and that's why it's, it's, it's only March, and most of our diet plans and fitness goals and our reading Bible plans have already fallen apart. Because we struggle in our willpower to get things done. And yet I think I'm going to go out and live life as a Christian and live life as a disciple who's making an impact the kingdom of God in my life, in my, in my own power, that I'm going to defeat the world and the flesh and the devil on my own. You can't even get through Leviticus in your own power, in your Bible reading plan. We don't have the willpower. We need God's power. We need God's help. We're in desperate need of it. And God has opened up the door of heaven and given it to us. It's available to us. We need the Holy Spirit's help and He's given it to us. So Paul steps in right here and he says, let me just tell you about this power. And he goes off right here at the end of this prayer. And I just want to read it to you. I want it to sink into you. The power, the resurrection power that's available to you as a Christ follower. Listen to what he says, verse 19. He says, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule of authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We could spend weeks talking about all that's right there, but I want you to walk away with the four-sized truth that Paul's trying to... He's praying that we would see. As he's celebrating, as he's exalting the name of Jesus, as he's declaring these truths about the power of Jesus, this is one of the most encouraging places in all of the Bible. He's saying, I want you to know this, and I don't want you to ever forget this, that the same power that was at work in Jesus is at work in you. That the Holy Spirit... The powerful Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence in you in the same resurrection power. That same resurrection power that broke Jesus out of the tomb. The same power that seated Him at a place of authority in heaven. That the same power displayed in how Christ is sovereign over and ruling over every authority and dominion in existence. That same power is at work in you and available to you in Christ Jesus. Paul's praying that we would know that. Not just here, but that we know it experientially. That we would start to walk in it. That we'd taste the victory in it. And as you taste the victory in that, you'll get addicted to it. You'll depend on God more. Paul's saying, I want you to know it. I want you to grow in it. I want you to stop relying on your own power. And if that's you, you're somebody up to this point who really hasn't been pressing in to your relationship with God, really hasn't been seeking to know Him, really hasn't been seeking to depend on Him, really hasn't been seeking to walk in the power available to you, let me just ask you, how's that working out for you? It's available to you. Andrew Murray said this. He said, Christ had supernatural power. The power of heaven, the power of holiness, the power of fellowship with God. And Christ can give me 
grace to live as he lived. When my boys were, I think I've shared this before maybe, but when my boys were younger, for one of their birthdays, we got them a power wheel. You know the power wheels, little cars, mini cars, they drive around the yard, little battery-operated power wheels. And I got that power wheel, and I decided that I was going to assemble it, which was a mistake. It took way longer than it should have taken to assemble the thing. Had all the pieces, began to match all the pieces together and got the frame together. And then you uh, get all the pieces in place and screw everything in. And then you put the stickers on it and you get the battery in place. And then it has a little gear shifter and you can go reverse or forward. And then I noticed in the directions on the back page in a little box, it said advanced speed option. And all you had to do was lift up the seat and there was this little screw. And if you unscrew that little screw and you take it out, it goes from two miles an hour to a whopping five miles an hour. Oh, yeah. And because I'm a good father... I took that screw out. <laughs> but I thought about that. I, I could have left it in there. And there they'd be out in the yard, I guess having some fun out there on that little power wheel, and that monster truck, but totally unaware of the fact that there's a whole other level of power that they could be experienced in their little lives out there in our lawn. And I, and, I, and I share kind of a real simple, kind of silly illustration, but I think it captures and maybe illustrates something powerful for some of us this morning. I think that maybe illustrates well in pictures where a lot of us try to live. Are you stuck in a weak gear in your spiritual life this morning? In an area where you're feeling, I'm talking about feelings and emotions this morning, where you're feeling defeated, you're feeling crushed by a trial, you're feeling defeated in a cycle of sin. You're feeling spiritually miserable. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're stuck, that we're spiritually stuck while there's a whole other gear available to us. There's a whole other level of power that's available to us in Christ Jesus. And this morning, what Paul's praying for this church, and I'm praying for you, and I need you to pray for me, is that we'd live with an awareness of that, not just here, but in here. That we'd know it not just here, but that we'd know it in here. I want you to know this morning that no matter what you are facing today, that in Christ you have access to the supernatural, surpassing greatness of the power of God. Hey, you need healing power in your life today? Some of you are there. Some of you have family members who are there who need a healing touch from God. And Paul says, I pray that you would know more deeply the power the healing power of God by experience, that you would seek to access that power, that you'd pray that God would open up the heavens and restore either your help or someone else's help. Maybe it's spiritual healing. You're in need of the healing power of God in some spiritual area of your life. Maybe you're in the need of reconcile, reconciling power this morning, the reconciling power of God. Your marriage feels like it's on the brink of failure. You have a relationship that feels like it's hanging on by a thread or maybe just feels completely broken. I want you to remember this morning. I want you to lift your eyes to to God. I want you to look at Scripture. I want you to believe, not just here, but I want you to believe in your heart that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can breathe life into whatever situation you're in. Can breathe life into your marriage. Can breathe life into your relationship. The question is, will you call on God today. Some of you are in need of the forgiving power of God. Maybe you've been hurt, you've let bitterness take root in your life, and you're like, I, this is so deep, and I feel so hurt, and I'm so bitter. 
I don't have the power to forgive that person. You just preached. You are right. You don't have the power to forgive them. And Paul's praying, and I'm praying for you, and I need you to pray for me. That we'd experience the forgiving power of God. A supernatural power that's available to us as we lean in and we press in and we say, God, I need you to change my heart. I need you to uproot this bitterness. I need you to help me to see them precious in your sight. I need you to help me to see them through a lens of grace and allow the forgiving power of God to rush into your life. Some of you are in need of the providing power of God. You need a job. You need financial help. You need a place to live. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, Whatever you need, you need to know that you have access today to the greatness of the power of God. And what Paul is saying is, I pray that you would experience that. And I want to go back to something I said about 20 minutes ago. The ironic thing is that we experience these things. He's praying these things for us. We experience these things through the power of prayer. So let's pray this morning. Let's pray. Now don't pack up just yet. Sometimes I say that, and it's like, all right, lunch. Got to get the kids. Got to move on. Think about what I got to do later today. Don't pack up just yet. I want us to end this service praying. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit's already showing you how you need to respond. Every week, this, the front of this room, we kind of turn it into a, an altar of sorts where you can come. And you can get before God. You can pray from your seat. You can pray when we stand and sing just a moment. But I would just encourage you to press into God this morning. Press into Jesus. And to pray these things over your life. God, I want to know you more. To pray these things over somebody else's life who's close to you. Is somebody in your life in need of God working in their life? Here's some prayers you can pray for them. God, I pray that they would know you. To pray this prayer over your life. God, I pray that... I would know you, God. I pray that you would grip my heart by the hope that I have in Christ. I, oh, my heart's wandered. Fill me up with your hope. Maybe it's this, God. You need to pray, God. I pray that you would help me to see myself the way that you see me. Precious in your sight. Or is it that fourth prayer, God? I need you to move in power in my life. For you to acknowledge And remember that the power of God is available to you. And let's draw near to God and pray that he pours it out in whatever area you need him to pour it out in. 